0: My mother was a seventh grade teacher for over 30 years. Every now and then, she would connect with a student. It was instant, solid, and everlasting. The students that she bonded with often were boys, which of course made the five of her daughters laugh. These students were a bit mischievous, fun-loving, good athletes, not always the best academically, but quick with a smile and had tons of friends. It was equally undeniable that these special students loved her too. Cases can be like that for me. I don't know why some pull me harder than others or why I feel connected to someone I've never met nor will ever be able to meet, but it happens nonetheless. It happened on this case. That smile, those bright eyes, his age, All of it drew me to help him. I only saw his face and I was dragged in. I contacted his mom to see if we could help, if nothing else, to get the word out. He was missing. And I knew I could get a few of my friends to do a national story and others to post all over social media. The more I learned the facts about his case, I quickly knew we probably did not have a missing person. We likely had a homicide victim. Like my mother, this mischievous, fun-loving, athletic, quick-with-a-smile kid had pulled me in. And now I must help find his killer. On September the 4th, 2017, Jabez Van could not be found. It was later discovered he had possibly witnessed a murder. He was only 14 years old. An exhausting search for Jabez went on for 18 months. It's Labor Day weekend, 2017. People are outside. They're grilling. They're visiting with one another. They're celebrating. Jabez was seen a couple of times by different neighbors and friends. People said, oh, we saw him with a couple of other kids about his same age. Nobody paid much attention. It was a familiar scene. Everybody out, maybe some fireworks, you're grilling. Again, you're seeing neighbors you haven't seen in a while. Everybody's enjoying the day. So as always, let's start where it ended. This case takes us to Sarasota, Florida. Just south of Tampa, 15 square miles it sits on the Gulf Coast. Some of the most gorgeous beaches in the world. Siesta Key is one of my favorite. They've got Lido Key, Longboat. The population, 55,000 people. Now, they've got some notable folks from there. Joe Perry from Aerosmith, basketball coach Dick Vitale, and author Lois Duncan, that ironically was also a mother of a child that had been murdered. So we know Jabez was last seen September the 4th near 22nd Street. Two weeks would go by before there was a child alert. Why was there a delay from law enforcement? Well, in the beginning, they believed he was with friends, hanging out, having fun. Everybody believed he would return home any minute. His grandmother was one of those people. She thought, well, he's hanging out with friends, maybe playing a video game, and time got away from him. But she grew panicked when he did not show up for school on Tuesday. Remember, Monday was a holiday, Labor Day. There was no sign of him. None of his friends had seen him. The neighbors hadn't seen him. This was now real. Sarasota had a missing child. It got more real, y'all, because on September the 10th, a Category 4 hurricane, Irma, hit Florida. The winds were 177 miles an hour. There was flooding. There were power outages all over the state. Well, at that point, the police knew he wasn't just holed up with some friends hanging out. He wouldn't spend the night with anybody else because people were evacuating. This was a major wake-up call for the police. They've got to go into full court press to try to find this child. But they would have to wait till the hurricane dissipated. Florida Outdoor Advertising Association donated digital billboards. The reward was $6,000 at this point. On October the 26th, the FBI joined in the search, as well as FDLE, and then Sarasota PD re-canvassed everything from North Water Tower Park to Newtown. Here's our first twist. Court documents in this case show that Jabez might have witnessed a murder a week before he disappeared. I know this sounds like a TV show, but if somebody possibly witnessed a murder and then they go missing themselves, you just get a bad feeling. Twist number two. The witness, Reginald Parker, told numerous people about Jabez seeing the murder. Reginald Parker told Jabez's mama, grandmama, and a neighbor Lucille Tillery. Now let's be very clear. Reginald Parker was said to have been a witness to Jabez witnessing the murder of Travis Combs. So you will hear me refer to Mr. Parker and Jabez as witnesses. Twist number three. The murder victim that Jabez possibly witnessed Was Travis Combs. Mr. Parker reportedly stated that Jabez said, and I quote, Oh my God, y'all shot him? End quote. Well, that might make you think that Jabez knew the victim and possibly knew the shooter because he said, y'all, y'all shot it. Travis Combs was 31 years old, killed August 28th at 930 at night. He had been visiting family at the 1600 block of 22nd Street. The body was found next to his aunt's home. After the murder, the killer took off in the victim's car. The victim was set to go to work the next morning at 4.30. His car was found in a neighboring county, burnt. Twist number four. Reginald Parker goes to jail on unrelated charges. Twist number five. Reginald Parker changes his story once he's inside jail. Reginald Parker denies telling Jabez's family members that he witnessed Combs' murder. Mr. Parker reportedly says, Jabez said, oh my God, y'all shot him. But again, he later denies ever saying that, even though he told multiple people the same quote. There have been reports that he saw Jabez say y'all shot him. So that makes him a witness. Jabez, you may hear me later say is a witness. And what I mean by that is if he witnessed a murder, that also makes him a witness. It's two separate people witnessing the same event from different vantage points. Twist number six, in cold cases, you always work backwards. In this case, backwards from Jabez going missing is the murder of Travis Combs. The two cases are possibly connected, and there's no way you can't look at both of them. So the first victim is killed on 22nd Street, and his car is dumped in Manatee County. The second victim is last seen on 22nd Street. So at this point, we know both cases, the victim's were outdoors when they were last seen alive. Both were on 22nd Street, both in their neighborhood or a neighborhood of their family that they're comfortable in, surrounded by people that they know, neighbors and friends. Both instances occurred with other witnesses around them, and the witnesses knew both victims, knew them by name. Now we come up on September the 4th, 2018. Jabez has been missing for a year. The Combs murder is still unsolved. At this point, the reward is now $50,000. Twist number seven. February the 16th, 2019, the remains of Jabez were found on a rural road in Manatee County, just west of I-75. A man working on his fence found him around 4.30 on the 16th. He was not identified through dental records until the 19th. Unfortunately, we are talking about the murder of Jabez Ban. Law enforcement has got to see they're connected. Jabez had no enemies. The police had never had issues with him. He didn't do drugs. He didn't do alcohol. Wasn't in a gang. There was no reason to kill him unless he was a witness to murder. Both of these cases happened Less than a block apart, there are no suspects, none, no idea how we got to Manatee County. No idea what the motive would be, but here's what I do know there's folks that know Jabez that are keeping their mouth shut sometimes you need the police. sometimes you need the media, and sometimes You need the mama. And it is time tonight to bring in my guest, my friend, Tawana Spann. Now, let me tell you about her. She's honest. She's probably more honest sometimes than you want her to be. She's a hustler. She's got about 400 jobs, and she's good at all of them. She's a mother, grandmother, daughter, wife, friend, community volunteer. Tawana, welcome to Zone
1: 7. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing?
0: I'm great, because I get to talk to you for about an hour. Why don't you tell us about Jabez, where he was born, raised, school, sports, however you want to start, you just tell us about your baby.
1: Jabez started kind of on a rocky slope. Um, he was I was incarcerated when I was pregnant with him. I picked his name because it... Said in the Bible that his mother said he, she bared him in a time of sorrow, and that he would that God would keep him from evil. So it just seemed to fit so very well. He loved his family. He was just a very outgoing personality, jokester. My mother, he just adored both of my parents. He adored very close knit with his his brothers. He was one of the. He was like you said. He's one of those kids, like you, the next door neighbor that everybody nose in the neighborhood, riding his bike, doing cartwheels on the bike. That's, I think that's one of the main things. Like when I see kids riding a bicycle, that like really bothers me because he was, he just was good at everything that he touched. He really was not to brag on him or anything. Some people just have, have that ability. And he was really good at a lot of things that he touched, especially football. I don't know if you've ever seen um, the movie with Ice Cube in it when the, guy, the little boy Ricky carries his football everywhere. That's, Mm -hmm. that's Jabez. Like everywhere he went, he's like throwing the football with some of his friends or something. He was always just very good in football. So. He had big plans for football. Yeah. He um, had just came from the Dallas stadium like two weeks before playing over in Dallas. So we really, truly, I I mean, he had told my mom, he was like, I'm going to buy you a House granny, you know, so he had he he really thought that he had the ability to um, rise above getting out of the neighborhood and seeing himself doing something totally different than what everybody else. And the way he was performing, we all kind of thought that maybe it was true. So when this came about, it was just like it, it definitely knocks you off your balance, really.
0: Well, you know, one story I remember you told me he was so dedicated to that next level of football that he would not miss a day of school.
1: No, no. <laughs> he he was just that like he was literally he wanted he he knew what plans he had and what he really, really wanted to do. And that's how when he when he didn't go to school, we knew something was wrong. That's just how dedicated he had, he was to going to school. And making sure that he his high school career was something that he could put in a lot of good work in, so that's what was alarming if he you know if he had been somebody that just did this out of the ordinary, then it wouldn't wouldn't have been like that, but that's what threw everybody off the next day when he didn't show up for for school or he didn't come home it was just it wasn't his behavior and he loved your mama's cooking yeah, my mom and him have a very special bond. Um, she ended up getting him when he was very young and they took Jabez out of my arms and they actually was about to adopt him out. And I was frantic. I couldn't find my baby. My mom stepped in and she, she was like her and my father was looking for him everywhere and found out that he was somewhere down in Venice uh, with a very good family, but you know, they wanted their grandchild. You know, he had been put in the system without consent. I remember her saying to me, she was like, when he, w- when he went missing, when he, you know, when he was older, he was like, she's, she said to me, literally breaking down in tears, she was like, I got to look for him all over again. Oh. You know, mm-hmm. it was, she went through him being, well, we went through him being missing twice. So, yeah. and nobody doesn't really know that because it was only like a four month stint of the first time, but we couldn't find him. He was somewhere in the system. They just took him away from me somewhere in the system, and we had to track him down. So we went through that two times in a row. I'm Well, two times. My mother and him, that was his granny. Like, he just truly, truly adored her. He was, after my father passed away, I think he felt as though, because he... I I wanted him to come back to live with me and he was just like no cuz he felt like he had to protect my mom. She he didn't want to leave her there by herself
0: and that tells you all you need to know about him right there. He was every kid.
1: <laughs> yes. No, I get that. Yeah. Not 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 just the good. You know, cuz all kids have their <laughs> their moments. So sure. I embracing that he's just every kid. It's not like he I don't want to make it seem like he was just like church going. You know, he he, he had his little rough moments. I think we Mm -hmm. all do. You know what I mean? But that made him even more a person that everybody's relatable to.
0: I can remember one night you and I were talking. It was kind of late. And we were laughing about him playing video games and cared about football and, you know, grandma's cooking. And, you know, again, somewhat mischievous every now and then, but quick with that smile to get out of trouble. Yeah. And you said to me, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you understand him? And I said, do I know what you're talking about? I'm raising one.
1: Okay. Yeah. He, he reminded
0: did. me so much of Huck, you know, just that no matter what happened, like if he had a book report due the next day and it was 11 o'clock at night and he's like, oh yeah, maybe I should, you know, find a book. And I'm like, what? But then that quick smile where you just can't get mad at him. And he's like, oh, my teacher will understand. I'll explain it. You know, he just knows he gonna, I'm gonna, he's going to get out of it. Yeah, I'm gonna charm him. And and he could for the most part. But then your mama had
1: to make the call to you. That night when she had called me, because I thought Jabez had when he had this coach that he was very, very close with. Um Coach Joe and I met Coach John and his son Joe and Mama Kane. Um but I thought they he had went out on the yacht with them, but he stayed to go to the cookout with everybody else, so my mom, when she called me that night, her and Jabez sometimes had their moments because he's he's a teenager she's in her sixties, they're not going to always agree on what is good for him at being his age because she's so old school mm-hmm. and she called me that night and and I say this in every one of my interviews because i i could, it just really really always resonates to me when I got on the road I was literally I was on the interstate I felt myself doing over a hundred miles per hour on the interstate not even realizing not I, I was realizing I was doing it but I not wondering like why I was doing it at that moment till I look back at it so I get down there and I'm just like you know all the usual spots that he might just be like I need a breather I need a moment and I'm just calling around I don't stop by everybody's house I'm like hey You know, I'm even thinking, does he have a new little girlfriend or something? And maybe he's over some girls' houses, somebody tell me. But everybody was saying, I haven't seen him. Not even his friends, like his close, close friends were saying, I haven't seen him. So all of a sudden I asked one one person and they were like, well, I heard he witnessed a murder. And it just like, it felt like I was in a twilight zone. It just was like, everything stood still. And I'm like, well, when did you, when, yeah, he, he, he was supposed to witness Travis's murder. I'm like, what? And mind you not, we got the call for Travis the week before because my brother is, is basically married to his cousin. So they're directly related to us. So I started to panic. And I I found my sister and I was like crying. And I'm just like, wait a minute, you know, da, 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 da. And she calmed me down. I stayed all night just up looking, up looking, up looking. I never went back home. And then after you, you realize like his phone's going straight to voicemail. There's no social media activity. When my mom reported him missing, he was reported missing as a runaway. And I want to make this really, really clear to a lot of people. A runaway is a missing person. Amen. Say that again. A runaway is a missing person. If you don't know where your child is and you think they've ran away, the best thing for you to do is still do the necessary things that you would do for a missing person. Because those the the timing, the first week is so critical. The first week is so critical, but everybody was thinking that he was a runaway. He was he was deemed a missing person, but a missing person as a runaway because nobody had ever seen anything violently happen to him or him being snatched. But it doesn't matter if a person is gone, they're gone. That body is not physically there and that should have the same. It should have the same treatment as any other missing person because it could be critical.
0: It is critical, and i got to jump in here a second. Not only is it critical, the first three hours are the most critical. And when law enforcement hears runaway, sometimes that's a little more relaxed than a kidnapping. But again, at this point, we didn't know what had happened to him. And this was out of character. And here's the other thing. For all the kids out there that do runaway, where do you think they go so they're going to the all-night gyms and the bus stations and here and there, a place where a predator would go to look for the runaway. Right. So they are in so much danger from the minute they are missing. And I think that's something that, you know, needs to change. I think the, you know, the the wording needs to change. Everything about that needs to change. And I think that's an excellent point that you're bringing up that, you know, uh, Jim Clementi, who wrote Criminal Minds, and is a former FBI profiler, he says that we should never have missing; that we should say endangered. And I think he's absolutely right because if I get an alert that says, "Hey, you know this teenager's run away," it's like, "Oh well, I guess they're partying with friends." If I get an alert that says "endangered child," I'm gonna stop what I'm doing. I'm gonna look at it. I'm gonna share it, and just that. Difference in language changes everything. So Twana, that's an awesome point.
1: Yeah, because the thing about it is most sex trafficking victims that goes missing, they're runaways. They're they're runaways from their home and they're looking for a place to go. And these people are very easily influenced because they're they're providing them with homes that they think and giving them what they think they should have, but they're using them as collateral. And the missing children or person space, is it has so many different elements of prevention. That's that is the key to endangered. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that word with with missing children, endangered in missing children because prevention is what stops them from being so comfortable with doing what they're doing. I ended up staying down there. We had found another phone that he might have had and we thought the people had him, but it wasn't, it was a false alarm. Then Irma, when Irma came, it was just like, you literally have to stand still. Like I had to watch a hurricane pass by. Soon as the hurricane was done, I was out of there. I didn't know if it had, I don't know if I was in the eye or whatever. When Soon as I thought it was done, I was out of there. You know, after a hurricane, one thing about teenagers. As adults, we have our own resources. I have my own money, I have my own car. I can I can go get lost for a while without anybody even really knowing because I have my own resources. Children don't have resources like that. We are their resources. Social media is addictive to even adults, so you know children are going to be on there all the time. Once you see those things going cold, no social media. You're not trying to contact anybody to get any money to to get to eat. You're not going to stay out there without contacting some of your resources to eat, to travel, to, you know what I'm saying? So he wasn't resourceful like that. 14, you're not resourceful like that. Most 14s aren't resourceful like that that are in school. And neither are their friends. Right. So when you see that they're not Responding to the those things you know something has went wrong. you don't want to believe it, so I was out and about searching I was out and about just asking questions and I happened to come up on one of a friend of mine, and she was like, "Hey, you know your son after I came back, your son was walking with a group of kids, and I'm like, well who was it? do you know who do you know who kids it was you know frantic and she was like one of them was such and such and I can't mention that name right now because it's an open investigation so I was like okay so I go and I find out where he well I knew where he lived because he used to hang with some of my other my other kids and he was like I pull up and I'm like hey such and such um they told me that Jabez was with you Do you know where he went, which way he went, what he had on? And he just yelled. And he said to me, he said, I don't have anything to do with what happened to Jabez. I mean, he yelled it at the top of his lungs Mm. at me. And when he said it, I was like, what do you mean what happened to him? And I just remember... I don't really know like I said before I don't really know how I got to the police station. I don't know how I even drove there cuz I was so I was I don't know, I don't even remember. I just remember getting to the police station and collapsing on the floor and the police officer coming out and I'm telling them that what this kid just said about my my baby. And that's when it got, it got way realer than I ever thought that it would get.
0: Just listening to you, it's like there's just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of just horror. So you, you get a call that he's missing. Well, that's gut-wrenching and horrible. And all these things go through your mind. Does he have food? Is he hurt? Has somebody got him? And then you've got to go and hear that he possibly witnessed a murder. Now, any parent whose child witnessed a murder, they would be just heartsick for that child to have to experience that trauma. And then you've got the hurricane, where now you know good and well he's not just holed up somewhere with somebody. And then, of course, he's found deceased. And then you learn he was also murdered. And it's just like, This whole thing has unfolded and you're doing the footwork. You're finding the witnesses. You're writing down the statements where somebody says to you, I didn't have anything to do with what happened to Jabez. And you key into what do you mean happened to him. And then you've already got a witness that tells you he
1: witnessed the murder of Travis Combe. Yeah, but at this time, I mean, I was they after Irma is when Sarasota Police Department knew OK, something's wrong. And they they had heard about the murder as well. So once when I went over, when I when I got to the police department again, when I did collapse and I told them that what the um, young man had said, everything turned. It was like a switch came on in Sarasota County and it was a wrap. They had become consumed after a while with Jabez. Because Sarasota County had never had any child to go missing without them them finding them. The last person that went missing that they didn't have a good outcome was Carly Br- Brucher. And she was caught on tape, snatched, later on, raped and murdered. So that was they had an uh, an impeccable resume of finding missing people. So after they realized and a lot of pressure coming from different avenues because everybody was now posting, where is Jabez? So when you start getting these small information of like, I don't have anything to do with what happened to him, you know, at this moment, like you, you're probably going to have to be faced with not seeing him ever again. And I, I knew at one point that he was gone because when you're, when you carry a child there's something that's still attached to you inside and it was gone from me, for him. I could feel it. It was just gone. I, was, I knew, I knew way before that I wasn't looking for a, a live individual anymore. Was I hoping you always hope in the back, but I knew when I was, well, when he had a private investigator um, working on the case with us and everything, and I used to we used to go out all the time all the time all the time, and you don't know whether or not when you're looking for someone like that, are you gonna step on their body? My main thing was the whole time i I searched for him up until the very day they told me I had called that Monday and didn't even know they had found him, and I was telling them hey this this is some clues, and they had already knew that they had found and they just hadn't, I guess the dental records hadn't came back yet. Mm -hmm. But um, I knew that I didn't, I wasn't looking for a live child anymore. Whatever Jabez went through was a journey within itself that night. And he went through that journey alone. He didn't have mama. He didn't have grandma. He didn't have no brothers and sisters. He went through that alone, you know? And I just wanted to make sure that if he was found, that there was somebody that was there with him to know that that somebody that he didn't have to take that journey along too, so I don't know it was very it was very important for me to be there when he was found, but I guess that God didn't want that. maybe that wasn't um maybe that would have been a little bit too much for me, but the night they called. That 19th, he was like, she She called me and I was way in Tampa. She said, hey, can you make it down to your mom's house? And I knew right then the detectives would never call me at 7 o'clock at night to tell me to come to my mom's house. So I was in the car and I was asking my husband. I was like, well, I don't think I was asking him. I don't think I was telling him. I was like, you know. I think they're about to tell us that they found you beds And he was like, no, we don't know that yet. This that, and the other. And they had the sheriff, they had people there to console us. And I think all of us was still just like in the back of our head. I think we were still just kind of like, no. Mm-mm. And I just asked her, I said, where did you, where did you find him at? Because I had looked everywhere. I was only like a hundred yards away from his body. I was, I had looked everywhere. I could see when my mom finally sat down, like the life, the life in her was just kind of drained out. She was so, small because she wasn't eating because he had been missing and now you could just see the whole life were just sucked out it was a relief finding him because that's why um, I chose to do advocate work for missing pe- children and persons because if you have someone that you can't find that you absolutely love and, and would do anything for It's hard to sleep. It's hard to eat. I remember my sister telling me, she was like, I feel like it's my fault. My mom was saying it was her fault and I was carrying the burden and it was my fault. And I had to realize one day and actually tell them and sit them down and tell them, it was not our choice for Jabez to ever be kidnapped. It was not our choice for him to ever be murdered. This was not our decision, and we're not carrying that load. We have enough to to bear. We're not carrying that load, too. Let's
0: talk about street code for a minute. This episode is a standalone episode. This is not a series because this case does not require us to go week to week to week dissecting this case. This case requires us to have a call to action for this community. In Sarasota, there are people that knew Jabez Fan that I believe have information on who murdered him. Now, I understand. If you don't want to talk to law enforcement, I get it if you're a criminal and you don't want to put yourself on law enforcement's radar. I'm clear. That you don't want to look like a punk if you ever go to jail and they say, hey, you told on so-and-so and and now you've brought trouble to your own front door. I understand if you live in that community and you do not want to be retaliated against. I'm well aware of all the above. I don't understand how snitching is paramount to you not wanting to live next door or down the street or in the same neighborhood as a killer. So I'm asking anybody that has got information, tell a clergy, tell a social worker, call anonymously from a phone that ain't yours. Ask the local store if you could borrow their phone and make a call. So you don't have to, quote, snitch but you can give law enforcement information. And let me give you that tip line. 941-366-8477. And remember, there's a $50,000 reward. You and I have talked, I don't know how many times over the years, and I remember the press conference and the officer at the podium he was choking up. He was crying. And uh, he said, you know, I I just met with them, the mama and the grandmama and other family members, and I had to tell them. And now I've got to come out here and tell y'all. And I think that's the part sometimes people don't realize that, you know, do these cases affect people? I knew his story. I knew your story. And I'm sitting here crying like I ain't never heard it. And let me tell you something, Twana Span, my friend. You better be glad this ain't video. You got me up here.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Mascara running, looking crazy. The puppy's looking at me like, hey, I'm not a therapy dog. You're on your own, lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. But I just, you know, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, you know, first time we ever talked or had any kind of conversations, You're just one of those people you kind of feel like you've known. And again, you know, just so honest and so open with it. And, you know, your heartbreak is the same. You're honest and you're open with it. And I don't think there's anybody listening to you that is not going to get on board with the next thing I want people to know because you told me something good will come. You told me absolutely after they found him that it would not be in vain. And, Something has happened in Sarasota County.
1: Yes, they have, um, they have new protocol all the way around for missing, missing people, and it's absolutely amazing.
0: Because of what happened to Jabez span and because law enforcement was somewhat slow to respond only because they thought they knew what was happening here. Even his grandmother thought he was with friends and just didn't come home. It wasn't until he didn't go to school and then when the hurricane hit and then all the electricity was out and everybody else was evacuating, that they knew something terrible had happened. He wasn't just a kid somewhere playing video games with friends. He wasn't out running the streets and just didn't come home and he hadn't run away. So because of this, Sarasota County sheriffs now have a new protocol. Whenever there is a missing person, they immediately take a report, they immediately dispatch officers, and they immediately start a search. That is powerful, and that is incredible, and that will be the legacy of Jabez Ban.
1: I was chosen to be one of the members of the FDLE, the FDLE parents, Well, it's a group, it's a, it's a board that some of the parents serve on for missing children and Sarasota County has been now exceeded the expectations of what they do for missing children. I think people can follow their alerts now Are they just don't, if it's a missing person, it's going on their Facebook. It's going to, they're going to treat it like a missing person. It's not going to be, everybody's going to know that person is missing. And i have to I have to say to Sarasota County because it wasn't i it broke us, but there was not a dry eye and when they had to break that to us, they had took Jabez on it might have been a rough beginning, but once they were all in, it's still to this day some of them bring my mother Christmas presents. You know, it, you, you start to bond and, and I needed the community. I needed the community so bad to just like, Hey, step up a little bit. And I didn't, I didn't get, my mother's been in that community for years, 40, 50 years. I thought they would do it for her. She's, she, she's kept people's children. She's ran a daycare. I mean, people know her church. People know her. and. Not some of the leaders in the community never even came by to bring her a a present, you know, a pie or, you know, just the old things you used to do as a community when something has went wrong like this. They never did that. You know, we had a we had a um, pastor that had information Information pertaining to Travis, but we don't know if it would have led to Jabez, and he wouldn't even speak on it. He invoked his pastoral rights.
0: And see, that's the thing that blows my mind. I'm just non-pulsed by some of the people that will not come forward, will not take action. And you know, I had a chance to speak to the detective once, and I spoke to your private investigator more than once. I know their determination. I know their dedication. I'm talking about as a whole, as a community, as a whole. Police, fire. Teachers, coaches, next door neighbors. How can you be okay with a killer walking among you, and you just won't tell what you know?
1: What's even more crazy is they rather see us suffer than to, than to see the killer caught, because they had to watch us suffer while you let that killer out, let that let the killers on the loose. So you basically, you guys chose killers over a family that needed needed help to find a child. And that was a little. I, I forgive. Everybody, because I can't I can't carry that with me. I don't want to carry that with me. Like I said to my mom, you know, one day and you'll be there. You'll be there. They're going to have a trial for this. And I told my mom, I don't want to go to the trial. I don't want to sit through that. I don't want to, I, I don't think that's something I want to do. But sentencing, now that's that's where I want to be because that's where it needs to be told of how the suffering of what we had to go through, especially my mother. I I, I don't even, i tell you the truth, I don't even care about my feelings as much as I do my mom's because she was the closest thing to him. She was. And, you know, how do you call and tell your daughter that you have lost her child and she left her child with you? That's a burden to carry. I never mentioned that to her, and I never would, but I know that that had to be very hard to try to carry, which it wasn't her fault. But humanly, you would think that to yourself. You know what I'm saying? That had to be a hard phone call. I give honor to my mother for the strength that she has, the strength that she's put in me to to even carry on. Because sometimes I was weak and she was the one that with my husband and, you know, had to really like push me to just get tie up my bootstraps and just keep going because he doesn't have a voice for himself anymore. Well, that's something
0: else you're doing. Let's talk about your podcast for a minute.
1: It's called Missing Our Voices. The reason for the podcast is because I noticed when we were having interviews with the news and everything like that, a lot of the, the stories weren't getting out like that. And sometimes when you have a missing child, all you really want to know is that you're not forgotten. Like nobody has forgotten you and that somebody still wants to hear your voice and still wants to hear your child's story. So I wanted it to be a more intimate podcast between two parents that have had missing children. So when you have those two elements together, I know exactly what they're they're going through. So my my compassion towards them is a is a different element. So when we have a conversation, it's very very intimate on the things that we're going through, but it also gives them a chance to to heal because they get to talk about it. They get to express those things that they might've never got to express. And it's really crazy because one of the, one of my guests, when I first met her, Jabez was still missing. <laughs> it was really crazy. I met her on my Facebook page and Jabez was still missing. And she was like trying to reach out to help me, but she was on medication because she couldn't go to sleep because her son had been missing and killed. And I I told her story and I told her, I said, you know, sometimes the very thing that causes us pain can be the very thing that heals us. So long story short, she's an advocate now in Alabama and she's using the very thing that hurt her to heal her by healing other people. And I just have that. It's a, it's a very soft spot for me For people that are missing their kids or missing, you don't have to miss your kid. It could be your sister, your brother. So the podcast wanted me, I I wanted to tell the stories. I wanted them to be able to heal through their story. I also um, am putting on other elements in the podcast. I have uh, one of the podcasts that are supposed to come out this week. It's It's with a grieving counselor. And it shows people that how they can start healing in this whole process. We have guests that's coming on for sex trafficking. We have police officers that we're bringing in because when I first thought about it, I just wanted to tell the stories. But then I was like, we need to tell all the elements of what makes this and what people go through because those officers, they have kids. And one of the detectives that worked on my my case, her daughter was the same age as um, as Jabez when she went missing, when he went missing. So every night that cop has to go home and look at their child, knowing that they're Mm -hmm. looking for someone else's child. Mm -hmm. So it's, we don't really get to, we don't, we just see them as law enforcement, but we don't see that they're human beings that are raising their kids and, and going through and taking on this, this large amount of pressure and have to go home and deal with that. So I just think that um, like with FDLE, FDLE, I didn't know until I was on that board that they are behind the scenes, they have a tremendous amount of stuff that they're doing with Amber Alerts and everything like that. So it's more than one element that to missing children. And I just think that everybody should be able to tell the story because everybody is affected with it. It's a community disease.
0: That's brilliant. Absolutely. And FDLE is one of the best in the country. There's no question about it. And again, you don't have to do anything but watch that press conference, see their devotion in support of you and Jabez and, you know, trying to solve this thing. So let's talk real quick. Where is the case now? Are they, you know, going back over the scenes? Are they trying to connect the dots between Jabez and Combs? Are they Looking for witnesses? Are they interviewing cellmates of Parker? What's going on? If you know,
1: all I know right now is I I do a checkup like at least every week to see okay. what's going on, or I try to do a checkup every week because I know they're tired of me by now. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I know they probably like this lady is just not going to give up. Um, I don't see how I can, but right now I think they're they're just combing through. All the parts that maybe some of the things that they didn't that they missed, um I think that they're bringing in some new eyes on on everything sometimes you need that, but I don't think that they stopped um do I think is as, as important as it was when it first started? No, because over time um there's other cases that come through, other things that come through, so I know it's not at the forefront, but I do believe that they're still actively making sure that this case gets solved. And I, I still believe that it will. I really do. I think it's going to, I really think it's going to be sooner than later.
0: I have that feeling too. And I'll tell you, if you solve Combs, you'll solve the case of Jabez Span. And
1: it might be the other way around. It sure Lord Mike, Mama. I'm hoping that Travis's case gets, gets solved because, you know, they put out the, like, this is a drug deal gone wrong or whatever. Travis had a son. He worked at a company for almost 15 years, and no matter what it looked like, he still is a human being. And I don't like people take the element of what they think is going on in someone's life away from the element of a person being a human being, you know. Um, And I say this to say that the picture that was painted, like, people basically tore me down as a person and looked at me being a person and all the mistakes I made instead of saying, Hey, it doesn't matter what she did. This is happening. And this is what we focus on. So it's just, sometimes people instead of accountability, they would like like to do blame game. And every last one of us in all these cases are human beings that have mothers that our daughters and, and and sons and and none of this none of this deserves to happen to any of them.
0: Absolutely correct, hundred percent. Twana, I cannot thank you enough for coming and being with us tonight. And again, just opening up your heart and sharing something that is just unimaginable. But I think everybody listening to you tonight is going to be a better advocate, police officer, detective. Potential juror So I appreciate you very much.
1: Thank you, too. I appreciate you also.
0: So I'm going to end Zone 7 like I always do with a quote from somebody that's in my Zone 7. Tonight it comes from Kelsey German, the sister of murder victim Liberty German, who was killed on the bridge in Delphi. And Kelsey says, Never assume they just ran away. Assume the worst and work down from there. And no matter what, don't call off the search. I'm Cheryl McCollum, and this is Zone 7. Next week, The Secret Hidden Door inside Brittany's apartment. Was the killer already inside? Is that why there was no forced entry? Join us and hear Maggie Zingman tell you about the murder of her daughter, Brittany.